Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, we're starting into a new series called Pressure Points, and we're going to be studying uh, the book of James over the next few months. So uh, if your notes will be in your bulletin. You can also get your notes if you download the Portico app. The notes are, are listed there, so you can do that on your, on your smartphone or on your, um, on your tablet. So uh, you can follow along in a number of different ways. I grew up in a magical decade called the 1980s. Anybody else grew up in that magical decade? Yeah, there are, there are, yeah, come on, we can, be, we can be excited about growing up in that. And it was full of neon colors and short shorts on boys and high knee socks and sweatbands. Yeah, that, that isn't actually me, but I did have a, a purple jacket that looked like that, and I had a boombox. Did anyone have those little yellow uh, Walkmans? Do you remember those guys? Anybody? Yeah, you remember? That was the coolest thing when you got the yellow one, then there was the Sony. I, uh, I waited years to get with that. I think I got it secondhand. And those, were, those were magical days. And I was, I was at my mom's house last weekend for Easter, and as kids, we were going through the old photo albums, and I found a picture of myself in that bright purple jacket, and my shorts stopped about here, and I had a, a fanny pack. Do you remember how cool those were back then? Yeah, a green neon fanny pack from Canada's Wonderland, and, and my, daughter was, my daughter was looking at some of these pictures and just laughing her head off, and it was, it was one of those magical decades. But if you grew up in the 1980s, you will remember that in every playground, there was, there was a concrete pad with a 40-foot giant metal slide. Do you remember these slides? That, and they were, they were, it was what was everywhere. Now, there's, I know there's rubber matting on our playgrounds today or wood chips or soft landings. Not in 1980s playground. It was concrete, and it was a giant metal slide, and it was made of reflective steel. Do you remember that? So when you had your short shorts on and you were going down, if it was a sunny day, there was this horrible screech all the way down, and your legs were, but you were happy to get off that slide because your legs were burning, but you weren't all that excited to get to the bottom of the slide because it was a concrete pad that you were about to go smack down to when you hit the bottom of that. And mom and dad, of course, were not at the park to supervise you going down that slide because in those days we didn't need supervision and it was always it was a safe, safe society. Like I said, a truly magical decade, the 1980s. Our kids grow growing up today with a very different kind of experience, aren't they? I'm, I'm pretty sure that my parents loved me. Um, my dad, he did tell me so once. He, he gave me a hearty shake on my wedding day, a handshake, you know. But there was, there was an expectation that not everything was supposed to be a smooth and easy landing when I was growing up. There's been, there's been a seismic shift in our society and in parenting strategies that, that happened in the, late, uh, the late 1990s and then the turn of the century. And we have this term called helicopter parenting. Have you, have you heard of the term helicopter parenting? Yep. 
It's where we buzz around our kids constantly and we make sure that we're, we're just singing our song that God is fighting our battles, but we make sure that we fight our kids' battles. Whatever they need, we get everything that we possibly can out of the way so that their life is easy, comfortable, and smooth. And actually, I was reading an article last year and they said there's a brand new term that they're using because it's not just helicoptering anymore that they were just going around our kids. It's now snowplow parenting. I don't know if you've read about this because it's not just that we're close to them. We are right out in front and going, get out of my kids' way. Here they come. They need to be, they need to be loved. They need to be, uh, things need to be easy. It needs to be soft. Please don't put any challenge or obstacle in their way. Here comes the snowplow. And our kids are super loved, but I'm not totally sure if they can handle every kind of setback because they've never really had to face one. <laughs> and now there's all kinds of reading material on, on resiliency and how important that is, but Angela Duckworth, Duckworth is one of the leading researchers on this, and uh, she's, a, she's a Harvard, um, she lectures at Harvard, and um, she wrote a book called Grit. I'm not sure uh, if you've read that book, but I wanted to pull out a couple of quotes that Angela Duckworth wrote about resiliency and how important it is to be able to build this grit. Here's what she says. There are no shortcuts to excellence. Developing real expertise, figuring out really hard problems, it all takes time, longer than most people imagine. When I get knocked down, I'll get back up. I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'll strive to be the grittiest. And then she says this, as much as talent counts, effort counts twice. And some of the leading researchers in this field will say that the greatest single determining factor in an individual's life is their ability to be resilient. Not their talent, not what they're born with, not what they can do, but their ability to keep on doing what they were attempting to do. And like any recently discovered truth, it's amazing how we can find it rooted in the ancient texts and teachings of the Bible. And we can find that in Scripture it says that struggle is actually not something that is to be avoided. Struggle is something that is to be embraced. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to open up to the book of James, or you can follow along in your notes, and we're going to be in James chapter 1. And I'll give you a little bit of historical background on the book of James. James, if you don't know, was the brother of Jesus, and he is writing to a, Christian, a group of Christian believers who were living in Jerusalem at the time. Jerusalem was the center of Judaism. Remember, it was, the, it was those individuals who had just killed Jesus because they hated the message that he was bringing. And so this is like trying to start up a church in the middle of an extremely aggressive, angry nation towards them. This would be like starting a Christian church somewhere in the Middle East where you're hated, where there is the threat of being killed all the time. They're a huge minority, and there's terror going on all around them. Now let's have that context. Look at the book of James, verses 2 through 8. I'm going to read this morning. Here's what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Think of who he's writing to, people that are fearful of their life. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I don't think so, James. <laughs> for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. <laughs> for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. 
Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled of a, as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wow, harsh words here. Such people should not re- expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the Word, and they are unstable in everything they do. Let's pause and pray. Lord, I pray that your words resonate with our hearts this morning. Thank you that you wrote this through James. And God, I pray that we would evaluate ourselves this morning. And I've, I pray that we would evaluate our, our mindset towards struggle. I pray that we would evaluate our mindset towards our confidence in you. And we would, the words that we were singing earlier, that great is your faithfulness. I've seen you move mountains. I've seen you make ways where there's no way. God, I pray that that would become truth, just as these words would become life to us this morning. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're taking notes, uh, pull out a pen or uh, just swipe in there with your finger. The first one is this, is that challenges give us an opportunity to grow. So as a follower of Christ, when you experience a challenge, what is your first reaction? As a follower of Jesus, when, when, when you're faced with something difficult, what is the first thing that we typically do as Christ followers? We get on our knees and we pray, Lord, remove this challenge from you, <laughs> from me. This possibly can't this can't possibly be from you because you would never send a challenge my way. So I'm going to pray, God, get rid of the challenge. And then we open up our Bibles. And what does James say? Lord, thank you. It's pure joy when challenge comes my way. Please don't take it away. The exact opposite is what James challenges us to do, not to pray that it would go away. And we have this misconception that anything that is hard, anything that causes us to stumble, that must be an attack. And it can't be from God. But listen, we do not serve a God who uniformly erases challenges from our pathway. He can, he might, and he does in certain circumstances. But it is not the dominant teaching of Scripture, Lord Anything that is difficult cannot be from you. That is not the theme that we see. There are specific times when God steps in, yes. But the majority of what we see in Scripture is not God take it away. It's God give me the ability. And uh, just as Anthony was uh, uh, asking us to reflect on earlier, Lord, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to rely on you in the midst of my challenge, not not, uh, to have my challenge be taken away. This is what we see in James 1.3. He says, For you know that when your faith is tested... Your endurance has a chance to grow. And if challenges were not designed to be part of our regular experience, James would not write the word when. He would write the word if. He, he would say, if your faith is tested, then it has a chance, then your faith has a chance to grow in endurance. He says, no, when it is tested, because he's expecting it to happen, we need to frame it in our minds as an opportunity for faith to grow. And at the very least, if the enemy is tempting us, some good will come out of it because your faith might get stronger. James might have framed it that way. At the very least, some good comes out of it. No, he says, when you are tempted, it's opportunity. Human habit is to rely on God so much more deeply in the times when things 
when things are going difficult than when things are going smoothly. Think about that. When, when you have a challenge, you turn to God so much more regularly, right? When things are going smoothly, we think, I've got this under control. I don't need to worry about God. But it's not until the moment when we, when we have something that comes in our way that causes us to stumble that we turn our, and we turn and face God and we begin to put our trust in Him. Paul, later, who was writing to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, says this in Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Not that he will take away things, but he will empower you with inner strength. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Does anyone cook with a pressure cooker? Anybody cook with a pressure cooker? You know, two people? Great. No. (laughs) This analogy will go super great that I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) The principle of a pressure cooker is that if you turn up the heat and turn up the pressure to a greater level of intensity, it will rapidly change whatever you're trying to cook, change the consistency of the meat, producing a delicious meal much more quickly, which goes against our instinct. If we think if we're going to prepare something, we want to go slowly and we want to roast it, right? We want to be able to, we want to be able to take a look at it. We want to be able to, oh, is it, is it juicy? Is it done? Can I leave it on for a few more hours? I don't want to rush this because if I rush it, it may not, it may not go the way that we want it to be because then we have the element of control, right? We can, we can taste it. We can, we can see it. We can say, I'm going to make a judgment that it needs another hour. You can't open a pressure cooker. If you open a pressure cooker, for starters, it ruins the process. The second thing is you're going to get blasted with, uh, you're going to get blasted with a whole shot of steam coming up. You can't do it. You have to trust that the intensity of the heat and the pressure that's preparing that meal is actually beneficial for you. And when it comes out, it will be a great thing to eat. You have to relinquish control for it to cook. Do you trust that God's process of difficulty coming into your life is actually beneficial for you? Or do you, would you rather have control to be able to say, I'll do it my way. God, I, I'm going to build my faith, God. I'm going to build endurance, but I'm going to do it on my terms. I'm going to build endurance by slowly reading your word and slowly taking small steps of faith. And if you just make things go smoothly, that will help me build endurance. <laughs> Or do you trust that, what, like James says, consider it joy when trials come your way because it builds endurance? You know, there are people that walk away from God when things go poorly. And they say, God, if you cared, if you loved, you wouldn't allow this in my life. And God says, this is the opposite of how I designed you. I actually designed you to come to me when things are going poorly, which is our second point there, that God freely gives his wisdom to help us navigate life's challenges. God has designed it so that when we're struggling, that we would turn to him, not walk away from him. Who are the people in your life that you normally ask for help? I want you to think. And then who are the people that you're afraid to ask help from? <laughs> did, you, did you have parents that were the kind of people that said, just come and ask me whenever you need help? Or did you have parents that were more likely to say, I told you so, that wasn't going to work it out that way? <laughs> Do you have a work culture that is forgiving or do you have a work culture that expects you to know it and expects you to figure it out and just says, you get it done and please don't mess up. And if you do mess up, we're going to bring correction into your world. 
Think about with even our friends and our spouses whom we would regularly rather impress with our impeccable skills and demonstrate our abilities than show them our weakness and show them our shortcoming. Luckily, Amanda is keenly aware of my inability, so I don't even need to try to impress her because she knows all kinds of areas where I fall short. We always say this, I don't need to impress her around the house. I'm I'm great with people, with things, not so much. I I break things, I light things on fire, I I destroy. But people, I I haven't lit anyone on fire, and hopefully I haven't destroyed anybody. But but we, we, we become, wouldn't it be great if we didn't feel like we had to impress anybody? If we felt like we could always go and ask for help when we needed it? If we, would ne- if we never felt like we would be judged when we showed a weakness in our lives? Do you know that the culture of faith designed, as we read here in Scripture, is that we're supposed to be able to come to Christ no matter what we're facing, and we're able to lean into Him as opposed to turn away from Him when we're struggling, when we feel like we're failing, when we feel like we don't know how to figure it out? To lean into God, not run away from him. That's why James wrote this, James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. And actually, later in this letter, James writes in James 4.2, you know why you don't have? It's because you don't ask. We never turn to God in these moments. We try and figure it out for ourselves. Think back over your walk of faith. What were the moments, if you had to be honest, when you genuinely considered turning in on your faith, walking away from God. You felt like God had failed you. You felt like life was not going as you planned. Maybe you're in the midst of a season like that today where where you're questioning, is God who he said he was and will God continue to be who he said he was because I'm not seeing that lived out in your life right now. And that's the argument you make. God, if you were in control, if you were truly good, you wouldn't allow this to happen. Do you know that it's in those moments when that's when God asks us to turn to him for wisdom as opposed to look for, we're making our own rationalization saying, God, this is the way that it should work. And God's saying, no, look to me. I've got an answer for you. And that's why we better know God's word. That's why we better be able to recognize God's spirit because it's in those moments when nothing else makes sense that we can only turn to his word and we'll read a verse like Isaiah 40 and 31. Those who trust in the Lord, they'll renew their strength. We read Deuteronomy 31 and 8. The Lord goes before you, will never leave you, will never fail you or abandon you. This is why we read Psalm 23 and 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valleys and fear and all evil, I know that you're with me. These are the things we need to have on our minds, in our hearts, speaking them daily when we're facing these challenges so that we'll know, you know, God, I'm not going to look to the world to give me an answer. I'm not going to look to my circumstance to speak into what's real. I'm going to look to your truth and allow your truth to tell me what's real. I was, in a, I was in a small group this week, and here's the question we posed to one another. How long is it appropriate to wait for God to prove himself faithful? If you're praying for something, if you're struggling with something, how long do you wait for God to show himself faithful? For some of us, we had to be realistic, and we said, you know, if I pray for something for a month and God hasn't given me an answer, I'm really depressed about it, and I really start to question, God, what are you doing? If I pray for something for six months, 
If I pray for something for a year and God still hasn't done anything about it, I start to make conclusions about who God is. If God's blessing comes two years later, was he still faithful? If God's blessing blessing comes a decade later, something you've been praying for, was he still faithful? If God's blessing comes at the end of your life, do you believe that God is still faithful and he is who he said he would be and his word is still truth? Or have you put a time limit on it and say, God, I can't trust you anymore because you haven't solved this situation on my timeline. And we have this habit of being critical of God. And it's a hard reality for us because we know what we walk through. And that's why it is so crucial that in any challenge, we turn to God and we ask for his wisdom. And we pray. And we read the Bible. And we get together in a group so that we are regularly being reminded not just of what we're cha- the challenges that we're facing, but we're being reminded of who God is. What was Jesus' habit when he faced a difficult situation? He broke away from everything else. He broke away from the crowds. He broke away from what he was doing. And he prayed. In fact, if you remember his last moments on earth spent as a free man, he was asking the Father if he, what was going on with this struggle. Is there another way to do this? And if there isn't, it's not what I want, God, but it's what you want. Not my will, but yours. And when we reread James and he says, if you're struggling, just ask for wisdom. This is the principle he's talking about. Think about Solomon, the man whom we would label as the wisest man ever due to an impartation of God's wisdom. I would argue that Solomon was actually already wise because he knew that when he was offered riches, power, and fame, you know what he asked for? More wisdom. He said, Lord, I just want your truth. First Kings 3 and 9. Give your servant a discerning heart. If you are presently facing a challenge, I hope you are wise enough to turn to God, not turn away from God, and ask for his wisdom and say, Lord, will you lead me through this? Help me not lean on my own understanding, as it says in Proverbs, but trust in you. Because number three, here's our third point, is that success is dependent on our focused loyalty to God. And the key word there is focused. Our success is dependent on our focused loyalty towards God. The majority of the people in this room this morning, I would say, have either a relationship with God or an interest in developing some relationship with God or at least hearing about God. We wouldn't be in a church service this morning otherwise. And the greatest struggle that I hear from people is that we believe in Jesus, we believe he's God's son, but I'm not sure if everything the Bible teaches is actually true, if I can actually live out what the Bible teaches. And we vacillate between this life of walking in faith and then also walking in what we have discovered to be true and important for ourselves. If you're in the midst of a... If you're in the midst of a financial struggle and you open up your Bible and it says, bring your tithe into the storehouse and God will bless. See if I won't open up the heavens. Isn't that a difficult teaching to understand when God says you're struggling financially and what's the solution to give more? That doesn't make sense to human logic. And, and, and then we open up the word and it said, I've been personally 
hurt and personally wronged. And the person who's done this to me hasn't even asked for forgiveness. And what is the teaching of the scripture? Is to forgive that person. Go and, ex- and actually give that person more opportunity. And the way to navigate our relationships is, is to buy into this ideal of, of honoring the other first and not worrying about our own needs. You know, our reality is that we believe in Jesus, we come together and we worship, but then we struggle with how we're going to shape our actions when it comes to the most critical areas of our life, our finances, our relationships, our direction. And we go back and forth between my wisdom and God's wisdom. James addresses this when we face challenges of all kinds. Here's what he says, James 1.8. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. And if we remember what, he was, what we were reading earlier, Here's what he said. He said that um, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because their loyalty is divided. Paul says in Ephesians that we're like infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Here's a reflection question for us this morning. Do you have faith that is so firmly rooted in God in God's word, in God being faithful, that in the midst of whatever challenge you face, you think and look nowhere else but to his face, to his truth, and to his spirit. And James is writing to a group of people who is situated much like we were in a culture that teaches everything else. And in a culture, their, co- their culture taught them, do everything humanly possible that you can do to honor God. There were sacrifices and there were rules and, and there was all kinds of other, there was Roman influence and Greek influence that were pulling people away from God. And James says, no, in the midst of challenge, look nowhere else but God's spirit, God's truth, and he'll bring you through. And successfully navigating life's challenges requires laser-like focus on God and his word and who he is and rejecting the instinct to blend in my truth and my wisdom with his truth. Proverbs 3 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. When Israel was setting up their nation at the very first time, Joshua 1 and 7 says this, be strong and be courageous, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. And then he says this, don't turn to the right or to the left so that you will be successful wherever you go. Our team is going to come back and we're going, we're going to sing a song in response this morning that talks about God's in control. Another reflection question for you this morning. What are the competing authorities in your life today? What are the voices that battle within you to say, you should do this. You should do this. Is it something you've read? Is it a person in your life that has influence? Is it a group that you listen? Is there anything that's competing against the voice of God and the truth of his scripture to direct your life and direct your choices today? James writes this letter to remind us that no matter what challenge we face, this should be the time that drives us back to the presence and the voice and the spirit of God. Not push us from God. Not push us somewhere else. And we do so by reaching out for his wisdom and saying, Lord, I, I'm going to trust that if you said, if I honor others, it will go well with me.
Lord, I'm going to trust if you said, if I trust you with my finances, it will go well with me. Lord, I'm going to trust if you said that I should forgive regardless, I'm going to forgive and it will go well with me. And there is a very natural human reaction right now that we are facing, and it's to run away in the midst of a challenge, to grasp onto anything that we would say would make sense. Here's what God's asking. Grasp onto him. Let go of everything else. Grasp his hand. Hold on to his spirit. I don't know what that looks like for you this morning. Probably looks like something different for each one of us. But as this, as our team sings this song, it says, God, you are in control. I don't know what you need to do, but do something. (laughs) Sing, stand, kneel, read, pray, whatever you need to do to say, God, I am not going to look anywhere else, but I'm going to trust that your voice is true. I'm going to trust that your word is true and I'll be made strong as I look to you. Whatever you need to do, would you please respond as we sing, God, you're in control, not me, and then we'll come back and close out the service. We're going to do, we're going to do what we were just singing. If you need a moment right now just to say, Lord, I need your wisdom, I just want you to raise your hands to heaven like we were just singing. Lord, we stand collectively in this room as a church saying we need your wisdom. And God, I pray you give us strength and you give us faith that when we go home and we are going to face health challenges, Lord, we are facing uncertainty of our future, Lord. We we are facing relationship challenges. We are facing work challenges. And Lord, you see hands raised all across this room. God, give us strength. Give us peace. Give us wisdom within the challenge, Lord. And whether you take it away or whether you don't, we believe, Lord, that you working. We believe you're in control, God, and we're not going to rely on ourselves. We're going to rely on you. So in the name of Jesus, I pray miracles of peace, Lord, I pray miracles of wisdom. You let your voice speak to us right now, God, by your power so that we would know who you are. We would know you're in control and we would know you will be who